What's up, strength coaches? Welcome back to another episode of the Cheeky Midweeky, where we are making strength and conditioning not boring. And today we have a special guest from the NSCA, Eric McMahon, on the show. And Eric, what is something that most strength coaches wouldn't know about the NSCA that is probably one of the most important things that they should know? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, when I came on board at the NSCA, I've been a member for over 20 years now. Uh, when you're working in the office, you realize really quickly that we are a nonprofit organization. And because of that, we rely heavily on our members to uh, speak at events, to volunteer on committees and get involved with the NSCA. And so from a perspective of promoting the profession, uh, it really takes an army to do that. And our entire constituent pool of certificates, members, uh, we're fortunate that we have so many great members that, that do contribute, but that's really our driving force for being able to do what we do. As the, you know, NSCA continues, like you, you read your bio, read other people speaking, you know, internationally, how has that continued to grow from the, you know, original story of the NSCA? Yeah. So, uh, it's interesting, the evolution of my role at the NSCA, uh, coming from sort of my coaching background, uh, but the NSCA, you know, a lot of times, and Boyd, it would be humble about this, but Boyd Epley is the founding father of the NSCA. And so okay. really getting the profession organized, getting a group of coaches together back in the 70s and saying, hey, we need to be more organized. We need to become a profession and identify our key principles and really take take us forward uh, the way some other professions are. And so my role at the NSCA really is an extension of that early history of having the voice of, of coaches and professionals from the field in our building, in our meetings uh, and at our events so that we can really serve the profession in the best way possible. And so, yeah, we've uh, grown from really a college football organization to a global organization with global chapters and affiliates all over the world. Uh, we have five certification programs. Most notably, everybody knows the CSCS, and that's probably what we'll talk about the most here today. Uh, but it's something that... Uh, there's not a lot of professional organizations that carry five certifications. Why do we do that to serve as many professionals in the space as possible? Uh, when I think of the strength and conditioning profession today, uh, there's a lot of great information and education out there that wasn't around 20, 30, 40 years ago. And you look at the academic journals and research and textbooks that have been published over the years, the NSCA has been instrumental in providing that foundation of research and support so that certification and other types of uh, professional opportunities can can springboard from those. So it's really uh, it's exciting when you think of it that way, where the NSCA began of 78 coaches coming together in a room. And uh, Boyd would say that those early meetings, they included the wives, the vendors, everybody who was in that room, people serving coffee, they were they were part of the NSCA because it was just so small at that time. But we have 
thousands that attend our events every year. And uh, we really are a strong global community. And that's, that's what we try to put out there. You talk about Boyd being the kind of founding father and what he did back in the 70s with Husker Power and Nebraska training. That was novel right back in the day. It wasn't the norm. What has been something that you've seen over the last, let's call it three years since you've been there in 2020? What has been some of the new novelty in strength and conditioning that is starting to change the game, perhaps the same way that things happened at Nebraska back in the day? Yeah, uh, I like to think, you know, I came up in a generation of coaching that we benefited a lot from the generation before that provided strong educational foundations. Uh, we A lot of academic institutions started transitioning from traditional physiology into exercise physiology, and then that turned into more, okay, we're actually going to make practitioners instead of just aspiring professors. And my generation was able to say, okay, I wanna study exercise science, but I actually wanna go into coaching and be a career coach. Uh, what I see today is a lot of the science that we were talking about 15, 20 years ago, we have so much more access to because of the technology advances that are current in our space right now. And so we look at, it really goes to sports science and technology. So we have a new credential for sport and performance science, uh, but even on the level of just how that integrates with strength and conditioning and personal training and other fields, it's important that regardless of where you are in this profession, that you are knowledgeable in this technology and scientific space because we are, uh, we're being called on to implement these types of programs and advancements in our training with athletes and be a little bit more evidence-based than, than maybe we have been in the early days of just being strength and conditioning practitioners. So, so I see sports science as a new career path within our, within our space, but I also see it as very tightly integrated with the coaching profession. And it might just depend on what type of institution you're at, uh, how programs are getting implemented. We want to be able to serve our athletes and our institutions the best way we can. <clears throat> Within that sports science realm, how does coaches handle that duality of now? Like, okay, it's almost, it can be its own role. And there are coaches that work at universities where there are sports scientists. And so there's that much amount of work, but then also as now a strength and conditioning coach, if you get that extra work added on to you, how do you best recommend coaches handle that duality of their role? That's a great question. Uh, I, I think back on, you know, most of my career in professional baseball was in the minor leagues. And I think the real challenge of that minor league coaching environment is that you're out there on an island at your affiliate and you're having to do as much as you can. So I think in our field, there's a, uh, there's a need for us to implement programs on a high level effectively, but also do that in a very efficient way and become more efficient over time so that you can take on more within your role. It, that's something I, I do advise coaches to think about is we want to shoot for the stars and pull off 
these ideals within our trainings, training and our programs. Uh, but we also need to do it uh, in a sustainable and efficient way so that we can do it over a long period of time. You know, if you, you, you can only, I, I had the opportunity after college to coach football. Uh, I was a GA, restricted earnings type role. And as you could imagine, after a game, you're breaking down video. And, and if there, were, there was a week, I remember it was, a, it was a hundred hour week of just like sleeping under my desk and waking up to, you know, change the VHS tapes. There's probably a lot of coaches that don't really know what that is. You know, change the VHS tapes and for the video breakdowns and things like that. And I've always joked that the 80 hour weeks in strength and conditioning are a little more sustainable and easier than the hundred hour weeks I experienced as a football GA, but it's something that you should strive for being as high a level professional as you can be, but doing that in the most efficient way possible so that you can be as broad serving and, uh, and have as many tools that you can deliver in different ways. I think we need to be versatile. That's the word I was looking for there. You know, we need to be versatile as coaching professionals because let's be honest, this is a very dynamic profession and our, our personality and our ability to deliver programs that's on display all the time. Within the, you know, talking about technology and sports science, that wasn't obviously the norm back when everything started with Boyd. How do you feel that the sports science pendulum has it swung too far? Is it like, where do you see this kind of going sports science technology side within the next, let's call it five years? Uh, I think we haven't seen the peak yet. I think there's a huge drive towards sports science and analytical thinking within strength and conditioning right now. Uh, but I, I do think, I, I think a lot about generations within our field and how each generation has contributed to the body of knowledge. Uh, Gen Z, and I have, a, I have an 11 year old son, so I've, I've been thinking about Gen Alpha, you know, that's next. Is that, is that what it, like that, that's that the uh, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, at least that's what I'm reading. That's what the internet's telling me. So uh, when you, when we think of where things are going, well, we have a Caskey accreditations. So in 2030, to sit for the CSCS exam, you'll have to go to an accredited degree program. So that Gen Alpha group, that's going to be our first generation of Caskey graduates eligible to sit for the CSCS. So when we think about that, there's going to be significant differences about the preparation of that generation going through their education, their field work, their internships, and by 2030, 2035, 2040, we don't think that far out, but our field is going to shift uh, and really be a product of what's happening at our higher higher education institutions right now. Uh, on the sports science side, we are seeing a more analytical generation than we've ever seen before. These are these are the kids that grew up with with iPads and cell phones and really have seen no other. Uh, so the technology drive there and access to it is something. I think we we often think of the negatives associated with that in society. But one thing I, I think this generation is excellent at is they've 
What's up, Strength Coaches? Taking a quick break away from the show to let you know about our membership site. Not only do we at Strength Coach Network put out the Cheeky Midweeky, but we have a membership site where you gain access to a video library and a members-only forum. Inside the video library, you will have access to over 170 different lectures, which equals over 400 hours of content. Inside of these content, it is every sport you could think of and every topic in strength and conditioning. In our members-only forum, we have career advice and we have topics in strength and conditioning where coaches ask each other questions and we help each other inside the network. You can try the network out for 24 hours for $1 if you are not a member. Click the link down below and you will be able to check us out. Then trained essentially to process more information from their environments than any other generation before they they can look in their inbox and identify whether it's a spam email or a legit email or go online and see if something is legit or if it's just something they're being marketed or or sold so this generation is very adept to processing information and that goes hand in hand with where we're headed as a strength and conditioning profession uh, we're seeing that with analytical mathematical skills getting into the sports science side on on more of the higher levels that we're that we're seeing there uh, so i do think um, within the next five years we're going to continue to see growth and uptake of hey i I want to get my CSCS, but I really want to be a strong uh, analytical minded strength and conditioning coach. Or, you know what? I don't come from a strength and conditioning or athletic background, but I love sport. A uh, good example, I had a biomedical engineering student who did an internship with me and she was excellent. Talk about a totally different skill set coming into our space. Uh, so I think we're going to see more things like that. In, from professional baseball, my background, we're already starting to see that with some of the uh, data science and analytical skills making their way into sport. How about if any coach, as they continue to like kind of climb the the ladder as they go evolving and, you know, the, the high performance manager role, is there anything coming down the pipeline with that as well to, to help coaches, you know, educate and understand how to, you know, run departments, run staffs and whatnot? It's a, yeah, I, I think that's important is that, you know, we've learned that, you know, and I'll give a little background to how a certification gets developed. When the CSCS was developed, and this is part when of- When was it developed? Sorry to, sorry to interrupt oh, you for any of our no listeners problem. that aren't sure. Yeah, no problem. 1985 is the CSCS. So that was version 1.0 of the exam before my time, so I can't really speak to it yeah. at that time, but- Part of your accreditation process is a role delineation and a job task analysis that we're actually, we have to do every so many years. So for the CSCS, the NSCA has done that and brought in experts to actually inform this role of what is a strength and conditioning coach, what, what's the minimum level of knowledge and skills to be able to meet that, that qualification standard uh, for an exam. So when we think about that, it is, uh, it's important that, uh, it's important that the, the field understands that there's a lot of background that goes into these, uh, these credentials. And, uh, 
on the sports science side, it's uh, we're doing the same thing now. So we're developing these credentials in a very systematic way. But to your point on leadership, uh, we've learned the CSCS that not every strength and conditioning coach is exactly the same. And that there are roles, and I've, I've, when I've talked about our sports science credential, I've almost called them outliers. You know, I think of a registered dietitian who's a director of player development for a baseball organization, or one of our former board members who was an associate AD uh, coming from sport performance. Well, they come up through the ranks of being an exercise professional and through their experience, they learn leadership skills and they get the opportunity. So these, a lot of high performance director roles in the U S right now are these outliers. They're, they're professionals that have done exceptionally well and had opportunities to advance into senior leadership roles. So when we, what we've learned from that is that, yeah, while there's one role that our credentials are designed for, that, that leadership is a progression for everybody. And sports science was delivered in that way that a sports scientist is a singular career path type role, but it's a very diverse, broad role. So the role of our credential is to bring together a, a, body of knowledge that if you're coming from the analytical side, if you're coming from the practitioner side or the research side, uh, this is a common, uh, you know, a common language for us, but leadership really breeds from that in that the leader might be someone from a strength and conditioning background. Uh, it might be someone from a medical background in certain environments. It might be someone from a true management background. Uh, so we see leadership as a, uh, a pathway within all of our career paths. And it's something that, uh, while it's not in the specific scope of our credentials, it is important that we, that we pay attention to it. And so that's, that's sort of the difference, long way of saying that's sort of the difference between what education is at the NSCA and professional development, uh, that there is a difference there. And if you can't, there's certain content we can't assign CEUs to for our accreditation, but we know are important and we're going to recognize those in other ways through our events and education opportunities. You've talked a lot about the sports science uh, certification that's come out for any of our listeners that are unfamiliar with it. Uh, give them a little bit more information and background on it, because as you said, yes, the CSCS, everybody understands it and, and knows what it is. Um, but let's dive into this, this new certification that came out. Yeah. So CPSS certified performance and sports scientists. Okay. Uh, this launched in 2021 and, uh, we actually have a textbook out with it, Essentials of Sports Science. Uh, Dr. Duncan French and Dr. Lorena Torres-Rondo were the co-editors of that. And it's been a really successful book. And I think it's successful. Uh, I remember I came on board with the NSCA and I saw the table of contents because the book wasn't out yet. I was, I was really impressed by it. And I, I, was, uh, I was really happy because I, I felt like it filled a void that was in the field. And I sort of spoke to that of the science had been there, but we didn't really know how to access this information and put it into practice. And so these were some of the top practitioners and sports scientists in the world talking about different areas. 
So from a strength and conditioning perspective, it took that knowledge that I had a little bit further and allowed me to dive deeper into some things that were outside of strength and conditioning. Uh, and I think everybody coming in and seeing this credential is feeling the same way in that if you have an exercise physiology background, well, this is going to give you a deeper look into biomechanics or uh, some of the, you know, maybe neurobiology or one of those different subjects that you're not as familiar with. In, with. If, the, if you're coming in from a more analytical or mathematical background, this is going to give you a lot of access to things you don't understand about sport. So uh, I think from an education standpoint, it's, it is a certification program with the NSCA. Quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button so that way you get notifications of when more content like this gets released. So click that like and subscribe button. And with that, let's get back to the show. But it truly is like, like strength and conditioning has been for the NSCA. It's an educational pathway. We have academic institutions preparing their students to take this exam. Really? Uh, this is, yeah. And it, it, we actually have. What courses are they associated with? Sorry to interrupt. Cause I remember you know, I had, a, I had a class yeah. that was for essentials. Like the essentials textbook was to prepare you for it. Is that what's going on within some of these, um, undergrad or graduate programs? Yeah, we're starting to see that. So, uh, right away we had, uh, we had professors reaching out, Hey, we want to develop a sports science master's program. And, and that's sort of the level that this was targeted for masters and doctoral. Uh, but even some bachelor's degree programs, I think this information can be delivered in certain ways. So on one level, this type of information could be delivered through a lens of sport and performance technology class. That might be a cross-listed, you know, upper level undergrad course or lower, lower level grad course. So we've seen that at some academic programs that might be within a strength and conditioning, uh, strength and conditioning program. Uh, we've also seen programs that have developed, you know, masters of sports science curriculum, and they're going, uh, they might have coursework across multiple departments from uh, exercise science to engineering to sports medicine and pull in some of those different areas. Uh, I think the Essentials of Sports Science textbook would be an excellent master's or doctoral level course for a uh, textbook for a essentially a course with that title, Essentials of Sports Science. That's that's really the level of the content. So it, so when we have that book, it can be played up or played down or focused on in different ways. Um, there was actually one program that uh, that developed a sports science master's and they're using the Essentials of Sports Science textbook really across their program and all of their classes. And so basically breaking down the different chapter areas into different courses. So that, be, that goes to a curriculum design topic of how we're actually advancing this curriculum into student programs. Uh, but yeah, I would say for professors out there thinking of, hey, I have this exercise science program. How do I make it more relevant to practitioners? One, get a strength, make sure you're offering a strength and conditioning class, because I think those skills are really important so that uh, even on the higher level analytical side, you know your way around the weight room. That's going to serve you well in a sports science role. 
but also make sure some sort of performance technology, sports science, analytical minded uh, coursework. And some of these might be electives, depending on the program you have initially. But if you're building a program around sports science, you can actually divide up the content and build individual courses. <clears throat> no, appreciate that. And we had Jason Weber on the show earlier, who was a PhD and you know worked in a high performance role over in Australia for a while. And he talked about the fact of like, he's like, look, I'm a strength and conditioning coach that does science stuff. Is that what this course is designed for? Like, Hey, let's better educate strength coaches on science. Or is it more designed for people that want to do science and work with strength and conditioning coaches? Broad answer. Yes. Across the board. It's, I don't want strength and conditioning coaches in, in it. It's not this. It's not the NSCA saying, hey, we're sports scientists now. We're not serving coaches. Got it. If you are a strength and conditioning coach, this may serve as a way for you to upskill into different areas. As you know, we're always asked to go above and beyond our job descriptions. And so this provides a, a pathway for you to do that in an evidence-based and scientific way. If you're worried, I think this can help us as well from creating a level playing field towards advancement and promotion. Meaning if your school is adding a director of performance, health and performance, but they come with a lot of names now, you might have, you might be up against a director of sports medicine for that role. And that director of sports medicine may be very well suited for that role, but a credential like this creates a common knowledge base where you're going to have people in that space that have sports medicine backgrounds, that have strength and conditioning backgrounds, that have really strong research backgrounds and analytical backgrounds. And it brings us together to be able to have more collaborative and integrated conversations. And so from a Getting that role and advancing into a, a senior level role, I, I'd love to see this credential be positioned in the future as what's the difference between a director of strength and conditioning or a director of sports medicine and a senior director overseeing the department as a whole. Someone that knows how to hire these roles and knows enough about each of these disciplines to be able to... Uh, effectively staff a department uh, from the top down so that they're deciding what roles and skill sets under each of these areas. Because as you know, it's not just the strength coach and the ATC anymore. There's a lot more professionals in the clubhouse, in the weight room or in the, in the weight room, in the, in the locker room, working with our athletes, mental skills, uh, nutrition, big universities, these are departments within themselves. So it, so that we're not getting siloed, we can have more of a leadership structure. And you say high performance director or high performance manager role, and that's what it's referred to internationally. But the CPSS credential does prepare individuals to broaden their skill set so that they along their pathway can can advance into those roles and the experiential requirements of this credential. It's the highest. These are the highest that we have at the NSCA. So uh, you can't, 
you shouldn't expect this to be your first credential. Uh, in most cases, you're going to need professional experience in different areas to be eligible to sit for this. And so it is a, a credential of advancement, essentially. <clears throat> That's really interesting. And you, you hit on a, something there when you were talking about different titles. Do you think it's good or bad for the field where people are, you know, it's not just strength and conditioning coach. They want to be a sports performance coach or athletic performance coach, like all these different terms. Does it A, matter, and B, is it good or bad for the global overarching field? Yeah, that's a tough question because I, whether I feel it's good or bad, I don't know if we can escape it right now. Good point. Uh, I, I think it's something that how do job titles get uh, put in place? Well, they might come from from management's perception of what our roles are, what's important to the organization. Uh, maybe we can better inform that process over time. Uh, they also, they can also come from an area I get to work on quite a bit with the professional sports leagues. They come from uh, areas of risk and liability uh, that what are we, what are we putting this role in place for? to prevent from happening? Is it a catastrophic injury uh, that happened around conditioning in the past? And this role is a liability protection for that. Uh, one area that's really interesting What's up, strength coaches? Want to take a quick break from the show to talk to you about our sponsor, Team Builder. Team Builder is your one-stop shop for online training platform needs as a coach. With Team Builder, you're going to be able to program for your athletes, whether they're in person or remote. Using Team Builder, not only will you be able to program for your athletes, but there are special features such as the leaderboard and locking training with wellness questionnaires. With the leaderboard, you can have an exercise performed that day, whether it be a lift, a sprint, or a jump, and scores can be updated in real time and projected on a TV in the training. Wellness questionnaires can be used at the beginning of training and your athletes will have to fill them out prior to being able to train. This ensures that as a coach, you're being able to collect quality data before the athletes train. So if you're interested in Team Builder, click the link down below and find out more information. Let's get back to the show. Right now, we hear about this a lot with professional ranks is uh, the, right, the rights and protection of data and information around athletes. So from a liability protection, uh, these professional leagues aren't going to want to mess around with uh, risk related to that because these athletes are employees and they're making a lot of money. And so if the potential of data being used against an athlete and the salary arbitration, that is risk for a professional organization. So if we don't have the right type of professionals handling and managing this data and information, so this is a real rabbit hole of how employment happens, but it's really important for these leagues. And so when we, you know, there's the injury side and, but protection, it goes beyond injury now. It's how information is going to be used. I mean, we know how valuable information is in our world today. I know there's probably a whole NIL conversation that could come from that about, <laughs> you know, there, there's so many things, right, that, when you think of information as how it could essentially be weaponized or how it could be used inappropriately, uh, th then there's a whole ethical aspect to it too. Unfortunately, I, I like to make sure people know we're not just a certifica 
a certification body at the NSCA. We have a code of ethics and professional standards that if professionals are acting inappropriately, whether that's sharing information inappropriately, um, other areas that you know may may cross legal borders or things like that, uh, you can lose your certification and you can lose your affiliation with our professional organization, and that's that's something that is important as well in that uh, when you see these unethical things happening that affect athlete safety, uh, you need to have a, or you need to have a body behind these credentials that really stands for professionalism and a strong code of ethics. For any of our listeners that might be hearing that they're like, Oh shoot, I never knew that before. Like uh, 10,000 foot view. What is it? you know, what is the code of ethics? What are some things that coaches need to be, maybe be mindful that they didn't know that you can kind of put on their radar? There's some really obvious examples from the media of uh, inappropriate conduct with, with youth and minors. And uh, we think of safe sport training that in safe sport uh, violations that you hear, so that's one thing with our RSCC program that we mandate safe sport training for those coaches yeah. so that they uh, they are knowledgeable in what's appropriate and what's not. And I think, well, most of us probably know uh, from that 30,000 foot view of what we can do and what we can't do. Uh, those courses are really valuable in giving you information about what to look out for and things you might see or experience and how to report those scenarios to protect athletes. So uh, from a legal standpoint, there's obviously negligence, there's uh, you know, direct inappropriate conduct that, that we're all very aware of, uh, sharing of information without permission. Uh, those things are all included in the NSCA code of ethics and in scenarios, and these don't happen all the time, but in scenarios where something gets reported, we have an ethics committee that gets pulled together to basically review the case and decide, is this something um, the NSCA can act on? Is there enough information uh, to act decisively uh, on this? And uh, what's what's in the best interest of the profession? Uh, so it is really important, uh, and and I can make sure that you have a uh, a link to that. It's on our website to share within our show notes. I think it's important for the professional, the professionalism of our field that we maintain that, and that is something that we do take very seriously. Uh, I, we're fortunate that it doesn't come up from too often, you know, these, these scenarios, another one would be, uh, you know, USADA training, uh, for, you know, a drug free sport and fair play. Uh, there are some, there can be violations related to that. Uh, and we mandate USADA training for the RSCC program as well. So we'll probably talk about RSCC a little bit, but that is something that, we really try to wrap in a lot of those safety elements and uh, I'll, I'll give a little quiz question for all strength coaches out there uh, to think about, do you know the nine areas of liability for practicing strength and conditioning? If you don't check out the NSCA's professional standards and guidelines paper, 
that, that is on our website. And I'll make sure you have access to that through this episode, because those are the areas that in sticky situations you're going to be held accountable for. Hopefully not, but it would be in the court of law that you'd have to be able to defend yourself uh, in in a situation of uh, litigation or, or liability. So, I, you know, that that's good information for all of us to have. Amen to that. And you've talked a lot about the RSCC and I just finished my RSCC recertification because I've had it since I believe 21 or uh, 2020. Talk about why that certification is important for coaches to get if they're unaware. Yes, the RSCC is a designation for CSCS coaches. They have their CSCS. So that shows that they have a uh, standard of competency and uh, ability to act as a strength and conditioning professional, but that they also have a level of experience within the field. And that's defined as a minimum of two years of dedicated full-time experience coaching uh, in a qualifying environment. So that'd be college athletics, professional sport, high school, we're looking for people that work in team sport environments that deal with the uh, many variables of not just the weight room, but administration and sports medicine and working across all these areas to serve athletes. Uh, and so that you can program effectively and do what we do. And you're actually tested in this. Uh the RSCC program, like I mentioned before, requires a lot of the things the CSCS requires. Your CPR AED, we check to make sure that's current. Uh, USADA coach advantage course, talking about drug-free sport so that we maintain from an ethics standpoint, but also, also from a health and safety standpoint, uh, the, uh, a, the way we communicate those things with our athletes. Uh, safe sport training and code of conduct for coaches uh the taking a quick break from the show to talk to you about our newest sponsor hawken dynamics hawken dynamics builds and designs software and hardware for coaches athletic trainers sports scientists and everybody in the high performance department most notably their use of their force plates with the ease of transportation and ease of use not only did i use them when i was at towson but i've used them when i've moved back here to iowa with tucker at goldfinch so Check out Hawking Dynamics in the link down below. Now let's get back to the show. This credential has been widely adopted in professional sport. Major League Baseball was the first to mandate this from AA and above. And uh, it's something that we continually try to advance that within the league. You think about how many coaches are in MLB now with all the major and minor league systems. Uh, this is the highest standard of coaching and professionalism. Uh, within our profession, when you look at all the different requirements that it takes to maintain your RSCC, and for a lot of coaches out there right now, uh, coming you know towards this end of the year in the fall into the early winter, we actually do our annual renewal course. So unlike the CSCS, which renews every three years, you renew your RSCC every every year, and we develop a course that you take a quiz on and go through. And that usually has five to six content pieces from various NSCA events, journals 
we have a great RSCC coaching task force who comes together every year. And we really get into the weeds about what do coaches need to hear this year? There's always a article or video related to safety. Uh, there's always an article or video related to what we love, you know, weight room, training, instruction, coaching, maybe, maybe on the pedagogy side so that we can be better and more effective instructors. Um, there's always something administrative that gets included in there. Uh, and there's, uh, a, like you mentioned before, leadership. That's something that uh, our SEC is mandated and listed on the NBA collective bargaining agreement. And that's something they ask for is we want our strength coaches to have strong leadership skills uh, within, within the health and performance departments. And so is there a way we can make sure that there's some of that content included within the RSCC course? So we, like many things with the NSCA, we serve the community and we're always, we have our ears open to know what does this course need every year? Uh, and I'll, I'll say that from my perspective, as a coach working at the NSCA and delivering this course every year, uh, through our best effort, we try to deliver the top five to six pieces of educational content for coaches that year or within, you know, within an 18 month time frame that, that we think is most appropriate and that the profession needs. So, uh, if you're, and we discount those CEUs for our SEC coaches. So I'm really selling it right now, but it's something that you, <laughs> it's something that, you know, if you, you have to get your CEUs anyway, it may as well be the most relevant content out there. And uh, just know that a lot of work goes into developing this course, making sure it's accessible through our website. This isn't something that we promote out there to our entire membership, RSCC coaches. It's something that uh, we send this to you from our RSCC program. And it's something you complete. And I think one of my favorite things about the RSCC renewal period is the hundreds of conversations I get to have with coaches of might be about the course or just, Hey, thanks for checking in. You know, uh, what's, Hey, what's going on in your program right now. And then we, uh, have our coaches conference and we have usually a social or meet and greet at the coaches conference. We also have one at national. So I get to see a lot of the faces that, uh, come through on the renewal side. So being a coaching administrator now, I, I do love that, uh, that exchange and conversation that happens in the program. And, and we're a coaching community. I'll go back to the 78 coaches in the room, you know, when, when the NSCA was founded and uh, I remind the RSCC coaches, every time we get together at coaches conference or national conference that this room, and it's well more than 78 in the program. Now we have over 1300 RSCC coaches represents that, core group of coaching professionals that the NSCA was founded on. And when we need thoughts and opinions, you know, you're the, you're the group that, that I go to first because I, I value the experience and, and dedication of that, of our RSCC coaching group. I also know how hard this profession is. So for coaches to move up through the ranks of 10 years with distinction and in emeritus 20 years in the profession, I know how hard this is. This is, it's a grind. I mean, this, this profession, we're, we're not just coaches, we're advocates for this and we need to 
continue to promote our profession. And if you've been in the field that long, you've really done a lot to advocate for our profession. So, so that's, you know, it's really heartfelt for me. I've been in RSEC since the beginning and it's something that uh, a program I value and I'm honored to serve all the coaches in that program. You've talked about, you know, having it and, and, you know, talking a little bit about, you know, where you're at now, talk about like what got you into the field of strength and conditioning, like where, where did it all start from you? Like give people your, you know, your background. Yeah, I love it. I, uh, I played college football, small college D3, St. Lawrence University, uh, but I'm from Vermont. So I got to play a lot of sports growing up. And I'd say for me, it was hard for me to know what to specialize in. You know, like I, I want, I play football, hockey, baseball, track, wrestling, you know, I, anything I could do. Uh, so I already said I, my career was in baseball, but I thought of it at the time. Well, my best sport and opportunity to play in college was football. I had a ton of fun playing hockey, but the sport I probably knew the most about was baseball. And so I found a way through college football. I discovered strength and conditioning. That led me to Springfield College in Massachusetts, where I got my master's degree and just connected with an amazing network of professionals there that that are out in the field, all over the field. Um, helped me build my my coaching tree and my network from there. Uh, and through that, I uh, got an internship and with the Milwaukee Brewers my first year and got shipped off in the summer after my after the year, because I had to really navigate schedules as a GA. And, and then I had to go and take the short season position. And I was in Helena, Montana, managing the team for two years. Oh, wow. So, so I always tell coaches, you know, there's a job for you if you're willing to go anywhere to find it. And true, Mon- Montana was my, my go anywhere. And I mean, really fortunate that happened. And baseball took me everywhere after that. I was in Huntsville, Alabama for a season, Bakersfield, California. I did an off season training at some facilities up in Seattle. Uh, we were in Frisco, Texas, Round Rock, Texas, Arlington, Texas. So fortunate that I was only with two organizations in my baseball career, uh, that I had a little bit of longevity in those roles and, and was able to progress, but it, it, it's something that you know, I was on a journey for a, for a long time in the coaching profession. And I loved, I loved working in baseball and you know what I, I learned a ton because baseball, baseball, there's areas of our field that need more professionalism now. And I've already spoke to that. Baseball was one of those areas in the early two thousands when I was getting in. And so I viewed that as an opportunity to help be part of that solution. You know, we're, we were like many areas of our field. We take strength and conditioning and put it in a new environment. And it's almost like we think of like, well, tactical strength and conditioning is an example. It's like these aren't football players in camo. You know, it's a totally different, distinct area of our field. And there's different training paradigms and different approaches to working with these operators and tactical. Well, that was very much needed in the baseball world. Uh, you needed a stronger knowledge of sports medicine and scapular, um, scapular movement and arm care than most strength and conditioning coaches were implementing with their football programs or Olympic sport programs at the time to be able to be well-versed in that space. And so we've seen baseball strength and conditioning explode in the last 15, 20 years. And so I, 
I guess I gambled right that that need existed and I was able to progress into that and have a, have a good run with that for 14, 15 years. And, uh, and that mindset prepared me for this because I, I think I always wanted to catch things on the upswing and know where the opportunities were going to be. Uh, tactical is one of those for coaches right now. There's a lot of those. So, so that's sort of how I've navigated my, my career path. I, I left Springfield college, got into professional baseball, but I always, I always dabbled a little bit on the academic and education side because I, I enjoyed teaching. Uh, so I occasionally I'll team up on a paper or something like that, which has served me well in my role here at the NSCA. Uh, I did some international coaching with MLB Europe program, gave me access to uh, working in Italy. And so that taught me about game development because as you might imagine, there's not as many baseball players in Italy as there are here. So we actually had to de really do some different things to develop athletes uh, for a sport that is very skill-based. So uh, I was exposed to a lot in that and I was just really open-minded that I, that I could pursue a lot of these opportunities. And when I see our field, uh, I, I really try not to say I'm limited in this way because of whatever it may be, salaries and all these things. No, it's the sky's the limit. You know, it, it you, you can have whatever opportunities you set out for when you really challenge yourself and say, well, what is out there? And sometimes the best environments are where strength and conditioning doesn't exist yet. Uh, that's a good point. And talking about, you know, major league baseball and or professional baseball and minor league, because one of my former interns who was a, a colleague and then is now in charge of the Chicago Cubs minor league baseball, like that is so difficult in terms of all of the people you have to handle and the fluidity of this person going up or this person going down. Like, What's your piece of advice to any of our listeners out there that do work with baseball to how to actually work in the day-to-day -day grind of it of, you know, actually handling what we just talked about? Yeah, it's a, there's a couple of layers to that. Obviously, there's a staff side of it. There's a staff side of it where you're, you need to be able to communicate effectively. And that's going to look a lot of different ways because uh, different programs have different structures to them of and then there's an individual aspect to programming where you know you've got to make sure that when you're sending a player up or sending a player down or a, a player gets injured and they're going down to the rehab area uh with with the medical staff and you just want to make sure that they know what you've been doing with them uh what's what you think's been working what you know, what the player's good at, what the player's maybe not so great at. Uh, so you just want to make sure you always have that conversation. And that's usually the best way to do that. We're, we're really good now about sharing information and reports. Um, so I think that's to structure of our department. They're really being tested right now. There's a lot more professionals. It might be a scenario where you have to bring the RD into the conversation or the mental skills coach uh, to really help create the picture for what the athlete needs in that. Uh, and, and baseball structure has a really good, uh, you have your affiliate staff 
and but you also have sort of a roving staff and their job is sort of to be the glue that when uh, a high prospect or someone that is going through some things or needs to be moved down or or is moving up uh, does that usually one of the roving coordinators will come in and help bridge that process to make sure they're getting what they need uh, at their you know, at the next level or, or wherever they are. Um, on the player side, I think one of the biggest challenges, and I don't actually talk about this a lot. One of the biggest challenges is that professional baseball, you know, at those times we had over 300 players in our system, you know, and, and they range from 15 years old coming out of Dominican Republic, Venezuela, yep, the DR. That's what I forgot yeah, about when it, when all he, the way until he up, brought it up. Yeah. All the way up to like, 40 years old or sometimes older. So obviously you have a whole long-term athlete development continuum within your program. You don't think about that. You have a really advanced complex developmental pipeline that's in place and players are sort of, you, you think of when, whether you are a high level athlete, athlete or not, we've all been students. And so we know what it's like to just navigate our, our day from class to class. It's kind of like a, there's a hallway approach to our profession where the athlete wakes up in the morning and you, you go get your breakfast and then you go to your first class of the day and then you might have a break and go do this. Well, when you're walking down that academic hallway, every door has a different expert behind it. So the strength and conditioning coach, when you finally get to that strength and conditioning coach at the end of the day, you're that's just one of the many people you've had to listen to throughout your entire your day. And different people have different personalities and you like certain ones more than others or some might get through to you differently. But our athletes, our students, they're always processing the voices coming to them. And we need to be very aware of that, of how we communicate athletes and be able to read them as to what they need. Uh, I think one of the biggest challenges in baseball is that you're preparing athletes for the big league. So you are now a professional athlete. You're not a, you're not a amateur athlete anymore. So how do you prepare a professional who may be emotionally or their maturity is not quite, you know, I don't care how great a baseball player you are. There's no 16-year-old in the world who's as emotionally mature as a 35, 40, or 50-year-old. You know, it's a, it's a, there's just you just need to put time on this earth to be able to develop those skills and to be really, really polished as a communicator, as a uh, to be able to just handle it and not be overwhelmed, right? Uh, so, I mean, there's probably some military elements to this too. When you know, 18 year olds go in the military and they're thrown into this career, are they really ready for that career? Yeah. Uh, so, were were you ready at 24, 25? You know, just to you know, you're almost like told you're an adult for the first five, six years. You know, from 18 to like 25, 26, and then it's like, all right, it's time now. Like I gotta get. I got to really be the adult now and get serious about my career and things. So that's what the minor league is. And so you're introducing this professionalism, but you have to treat them like professionals. They're not, they're kids, but they're not kids. That's the challenge 
in professional baseball. That's the challenge when you're, MLS is doing this too with development academies. Yeah, I was going to say soccer. I thought about that. I looked up right here at my Manchester. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and we're starting to see that grow. Similarly, European model of soccer come into the U.S. as well with development academies. So I think uh, baseball, professional sport and tactical, it's really interesting that our coaches, it's not just college, traditional college strength and conditioning anymore, where the coach is this, this feared leader almost that everyone just listens to. You know, and I think what I hear the most is, you know, our athletes, regardless of stage and level, they, they need to understand the why now of what they're doing because they're just not going to buy in over time if if you can't explain that. And so it's important for our coaches to to break things down on their level. And that's going to be different for a 30-year-old than it is for a 15-year-old. So uh, so that that's kind of my baseball takeaways there pretty broad in general, high level, but I think it's important coaches see that and know that it's not just about how we, the exercises we choose. One of the things that I heard you talking about there, and and we've talked about this off air, but understanding the importance of, you know, some of the liability coverage that the NSCA has, is this something that is, you know, really only for any of our listeners out there that maybe work in the private side? Is this something that, you know, whether it's, tactical college high school professional that they should also have like speak to this to again any coach that's like oh man i didn't even know that existed what is it and why is it important yeah two there's two layers to this so just by having an nsca certification and being associated with the nsca you're held to our code of conduct and code of ethics so even if you're just a professional member you don't have our certified professional insurance membership uh, there are standards you're held to, and not every certifying body takes those as seriously or publishes those out there that that professionals are held to certain standards other beyond the test itself. Uh, so, so that's one layer. When it comes to adding professional liability insurance and protection, uh, what we see a lot is yeah, it's important for private sector coaches. If you're training clients out there and there might be some risk of uh, you know an injury happens or a lawsuit, you wanna have some sort of protection there. And so that does exist and we offer that, but professional organizations typically mandate that. And the best example to give you is we all hear, you know, a physician might be um, sued for malpractice. Well, that can happen in any medical field. And so medical professionals have liability insurance, including athletic trainers. So what we've seen in professional baseball and some of the other leagues, uh, it's forward thinking to say, well, if strength and conditioning coaches are involved in the health and performance of these athletes, well, they could be subject to the same sort of risk and liability. And so uh, the NSCA delivers a membership-specific for this need, uh, and it's an annual membership, CPI membership, uh, you can check it out, that gives you access to uh, insurance coverage. And that's, it's important we offer that, you know, with so many certificates out there doing different things. And we've talked to just how much this field has grown and gone different directions that uh, we need to continue to provide protection and resources to our certificates. 
<clears throat> as you talk about the growth and the growing evolution of it, if you look into your crystal ball from all the different conversations you've had with coaches, what do you see the growing trend in the next, you know, three to five years? Uh, coaches, I can speak to what coaches are doing. Uh, I can speak to what coaches probably need to be doing uh, more. And But I think we can easily say that analytics, sports science, the need for us to explain the why and do that in an evidence-based way is not going going anywhere. We're not in a generation anymore where coaches can take their stats class to get their master's degree and then just forget about that anymore. Forget about that when they get into the field. Like how many of us, it's like, oh, you got to have a master's degree to go lead a program. But the minute you get it, you had to take that research class, but you never have to use that again. Uh, that need is exists more now. Even if you have a, a sports scientist in your department doing all that, your ability to understand different processes and statistical functions. I think, I think it's important that coaches are uh, analytical minded in terms of how we test our athletes, how we monitor our athletes, uh, how we, how we make decisions around programming. Uh, we need to be a little bit more informed in those uh, where we need to go. Uh, some of this is COVID, but I think because we're, really doing well academically right now as a field and progressing. We have textbooks and education. We need to make sure that we're getting our time, our, our time under the bar, if you will, our, our time working with athletes, uh, being around other coaching professionals, mentors, people who can guide you. Or you just, I mean, I think of four or five years before I even thought about taking the CSCS where I was in the weight room quite a bit and I was learning skills. I was reading books. I was seeing that <laughs> observing the difference between professionals with this certification versus this certification. I was really soaking it in. And I, I feel like the risk of really being a highly scientific profession is that we lose our chops of training athletes because a lot of, what I was forced to do early in my career when I'm in Helena, Montana is being creative, bringing a team into a 24 hour fitness. Is that an ideal training environment for a professional baseball team? Absolutely not. And saying, okay, checking the team in, doing all the admin, everybody's kind of warming up and getting loose. And I'm taking the five minutes that they're on some piece of cardio equipment to go around reserve, you know, reserve whatever squat rack is available and, and, and figure out, how I'm going to adapt the program for the needs of the team on that day and their individual needs. There's a lot of those types of um, constraints-based coaching where we are needing to, we're always having to make, very rarely in coaching, unless you just have this perfect environment that you designed, do we get to <laughs> implement exactly what you want to do? Sometimes it's not practical. Sometimes you just don't have the time. Nope. And, and so you're always having to, you know, adjust for that curveball and, and, and still trying to make it a productive, uh, a productive training session for, for your group, for your athlete, whatever it may be. So, uh, that's my advice for the next five years is don't lose your, your weight room chops because 
you're upskilling in the scientific and analytical areas of our field. Uh, but I, I, I think we're headed in a good direction. We want to be taken seriously as professionals. And to do that, we have to be more professional than we've been in the past. And I, I, I challenge us as a profession to, to take that seriously. You know, you, how can, it goes back to what you said about leadership. We often say, we often see someone that whether they look the right way or they communicate the right way or, or they make decisions and you see that thought process and you're like, wow, that's leadership. Like they have great leadership. How do you, I mean, defining leadership is hard within itself, but in our field, those are the people that seem to get the opportunities to advance because they can be trusted with higher level decision-making uh, and, and they can be trusted by the people making the decisions to fill those higher level roles. So I think that's uh, our continual quest. We want to advance, we want higher salaries, we want to have better jobs, but we just need to be better at serving our athletes and serving our institu institutions and being, being really professional in how we do that. What is, what would be the the definition then of professional? So that way we can kind of reverse engineer it for coaches, so they can be like, all right, cool, this is exactly what we're talking about. Like, this is what I'm striving for. Yeah, uh, communicating effectively is one of those one of those um, areas that gets talked about a lot. But I I think, and I can definitely think of times that I can be better at this. Uh, we all can, where it's something that it's not what you're intending to communicate. It's what gets received. And, and also being able to read the, really the capacity of your environment to handle uh, the, the change and that you're maybe proposing with some sort of change. It, it might be simple where, Hey, I need a training facility. We don't have a place to train. Well, that's obvious. And I think most institutions who want to attract student athletes will, will, will do something about that. But there's institutions that can't do that. And there's institutions that can't allocate resources. So how to ask, when to ask. There's a timing element to professionalism. Uh, but there's also an element of not being a pushover. And when you have people that report to you that you you're responsible for their career path too, or maybe for our athletes, their health and safety. So knowing how to advocate for people, that's an area of professionalism, advocate for your program in a way that uh, can be received well, but is also actionable. You just walk into a athletic director and ask for $5 million in a new facility that may not be the best conversation for you, but there may be a way to go about that and, and, and get what you need and demonstrate your needs effectively. So in terms of pinpointing professionalism, I mean, it's in really defining it. There's a look to it. There's a feel to it. There's a, uh, there's some content knowledge and it is broader than just being really good at your job. You know, I, I, here's something for, for aspiring leaders. If you want to lead a department 
and you're a great strength and conditioning coach, do you want to get promoted from being a great strength and conditioning coach to being an average leader or a below average leader? Absolutely not. We want to be great at everything we do. And so we have this opportunity. We have access to these facilities, these, these our athletes, other professionals to really work on our leadership skills so that if you want to advance uh, your skills related to leadership and communication and professionalism are where they need to be to really take you beyond the weight room. If that's what we're talking about with strength coaches, this applies to everyone now. Uh, your leadership needs to be projected beyond the four walls of the weight room to be an effective leader for a department, especially if it's at a school, uh, within a multifaceted performance, health and performance department. Uh, so it's something that, you know, I challenge us, like how be, I don't have all the answers on what leadership is and, and what professionalism is, but there's maybe a, a few things in there that should trigger a response of like, Hey, I, I can do this better, or I can at least know to go look for this in different areas. Appreciate you. I think that's a, a good spot to let our listeners, you know, go and really resonate on that because if we're truly here for the best betterment of the athletes, the more professional we can be and the more professional we can work and serve with everybody else in that environment, I think um, it does continue to push the field forward. So uh, like you said, we're going to link everything down below. Um, Eric, I greatly appreciate your time and being able to talk with us and, and share with our members. So thank you very much, man. Have a great rest of your day. Awesome. No, Justin, I appreciate all you're doing in the field and uh, thanks for having me. You're welcome, man.